Good evening, how are you? Somebody just gave the Snowdrop team these cool shirts. I choose joy. How great is that? Because it is a choice, is it not? He says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of many kinds, pure joy. Uh, before we begin tonight, I want to talk to you, uh, as I said last week, I want to talk to you about um, that, uh, that the next verse that talks about uh, believing and not doubting when you ask. But before we do that, I came across something in my notes from last week that I did not talk about that I really feel is pretty profound that I want to make sure that you hear before we move on. It was a quote by John MacArthur, and he was talking about the definition of trials. And it was so, uh, what he said just hit me so hard that I want to just share it with you tonight. He said that the word trials that James uses in this passage, the Greek word connotes, uh, connotes trouble or something that breaks the pattern of peace, joy, and happiness in someone's life. Isn't that true? Trials definitely seem to break the pattern of peace, joy, and happiness in our lives when they come. He says, the verb of this word means to put someone or something to the test with the purposes of discovering that person's nature or that thing's quality. God brings such tests to prove and increase the strength and quality of one's faith and to demonstrate its, its validity. Every trial, and this is what I want you to hear, Every trial becomes a test of faith designed to strengthen. If the believer fails the test by responding wrongly, that test then becomes a temptation or a solicitation to evil. Now that got me like I can't even tell you that, that we have two choices when a trial comes, when something that, that tests us or, or tries us comes in our life, a tribulation comes in our life, we have two choices. We can respond to it rightly with joy, trusting God, believing that we are in his hands and we are safe and that, that, it, that everything in our life that happens, happens under the providential control of God. We can choose to either do that or we can choose to let that trial and that tribulation be a solicitation to do evil. Let me give you an example from the word of God. When Jesus, what was, was the Bible says, he was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I don't want you to miss that, I wanna say it again. That Jesus was led by the spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Same word, tempted there. And, and, and so what happened? You guys know this story. Jesus was, was tempted. He was in the wilderness for 40 days. He was fasting that whole entire time. And the first temptation that the devil brings to him is to take some rocks and turn them into bread. Is that correct? And what does Jesus do? He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And, and, and Jesus had a choice. And I, and I was talking to the team this week, and I was, I was sharing this with them. And I said to them, in that temptation, Jesus had a choice. And, and somehow we make Jesus in this temptation to be without any uh, without any temptation. We think it doesn't bother him. He's a God incarnate. Of course it doesn't bother him. That's wrong. He was, he's a man in every way that we are. But, but he, he did not give in to those temptations. He demonstrated and, and gave us an example of how to handle those uh, trials and tribulations the right way. And so when the devil came, don't kid yourself, Jesus was hungry. Who knows that after 40 days and 40, 40 nights of not eating, Jesus would have been hungry. And so when the devil came to tempt him, the temptation was real. Oh, Jesus, come on, turn these stones into bread. It's that easy, and you can eat. And, and Jesus could easily have done that. He could have turned those, those stones into bread. And in my mind, I said to the team, as I was talking to them about this, I said, you know, he hadn't eaten for 40 days. He was hungry. He was coming to the end of that time of testing. And, and in, you know, he could have very easily said, oh, what difference does it make? It's just bread. It's not going to really make that much difference. But Jesus understood that to do that, to give in to that solicitation to do evil, would have been a violation of the reason that the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. It would have been a violation to that. 
And we talked about that last week. I'm not going around this mountain again, Lord. I want to get it the first time I go through. And then so Jesus understood. He was led by the Spirit into that wilderness to be tempted by the devil for a purpose. And he was not about to mess that up by turning those rocks into, those rocks into, into bread. And so it just really struck me. And I thought, you know, I really need to share that with you. Because if we can keep in mind every trial... Every temptation. This is not just about the heartache and the the heartbreak trials. This is also about a temptation to sin. Everything that the enemy brings at us is either a chance to respond rightly according to the word of God, consider it pure joy, let the thing mature and strengthen us, let our faith be proved genuine, our faith be proved genuine, or allow it to be a solicitation to do evil. And let him lure us away from the good that God has called us to, right in, to play right into his hands. I fleshed it out with you with the scripture, but now let me just flesh it out in my own life. When I have something hard come at me in my life, I can either respond rightly, I can die to self, I can choose to, to follow hard after the, 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 the word and the Lord and, and, and walk Uh, in a manner worthy of the gospel, I can choose to walk according to the spirit instead of according to the flesh and do things God's way. We talked about that last week when I used Leslie and the illustration of her GPS. We were in Florida, for those of you who who were not here. Leslie and I were in Orlando and Leslie's a travel agent and she knows Disney like the back of her hand. And so rather than put the address where we were going into the GPS, a trusted source, Leslie relied on her own limited knowledge of Orlando and tried to get us to the address where we were going. And we got lost, majorly lost, and it took a whole lot of time to get there. And, and, and finally she gave in and said, Rhea, could you just put this address in the GPS? And, and, and I, when that happened, I thought to myself, isn't that how we, how we work? Instead of trusting in the source that's reliable to guide us and direct us through life, the Word of God, We choose our own limited knowledge of the circumstance and say we're going to respond or react this way because it feels good or because I want to or because I I feel like I can't do anything else. I I don't have self-control. Yes, you do. And so if we approach every opportunity, every trial, every temptation, and we are aware and not unaware of the enemy's schemes, and we begin to say, wait a second, I have a choice here. I can either respond rightly in this situation, or I can let the enemy use this as a solicitation to make me do evil. Does that change everything? That just changes everything for me. And so we have a choice, church, how we respond uh, to trials and temptations. And, J- and James is giving us uh, 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 firsthand knowledge here. He's saying, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials of many kinds, because you understand that this trial, this testing of your faith, develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you will be mature and complete and not lacking anything not lacking anything. And then he goes on to say, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But here's what I want to talk to you about tonight. But, and here's the condition, ask for, ask for wisdom and God who gives generously to all without finding fault will give it to you. But here's the condition. But when he asks, he must ask in faith with no doubting, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from God. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. But there is the condition that's introducing the prerequisite to obtaining the promise that it will be given to you. Uh, There are conditions in our life, whether we like it or not, to getting our prayers answered. And the biggest condition is our faith. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible, absolutely impossible to please God. That word faith, there is total trust. Without total trust in God, it is impossible to please him. 
I hate more than anything in this world for somebody to question my integrity. I really take pride that I, I really try to maintain integrity. I try my hardest to mean what I always mean what I say and to not never go back on it. And, and I try to be a truth teller at all times. And so when anybody questions my truth telling, it bothers me because I really am intentional about being a truth teller. Ask Leslie. I, I give her a hassle about that all the time. Don't you dare question my integrity. I am a truth teller. When I say something, I mean it. And, and so if I am like that as a human, what must God, who is a God who cannot lie, not will not lie, he absolutely cannot lie. It's impossible for him to do. And so he's a truth teller. His word is yea and amen for those who believe. He means what he says. He, he's not sorry he said it. It's without repentance. He doesn't want to take it back. His word is already settled in heaven. It's a done deal. And so how must God feel when, when we go to him and we question his word? Well, when we say, oh, I don't know if he really believed that, or I don't know if I can believe that he means that, what must that do to God when we do it? Because I can tell you what it does to me if someone questions my, my truth-telling. So what an insult when we go to God and we don't believe what he says. And so that's why he's saying, without faith, without total trust in me and in my word, it's impossible to please him. And then here's the rest of that verse. It's in Hebrews 11:6. if you want to turn there. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, I want to just focus on that for a few minutes tonight. It, it says, if we come to God, whether that be for the first time for salvation or as we come to him on a daily basis in prayer, there, there needs to be two things that we believe. Number one, that he is. That he is. And that's a, that's a word that really means to exist. It, it, it conveys the idea of existence. Do you believe that God is real? That, that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that word rewarder means remunerator. It means one who pays wages. Who does he pay the wages to? Who does he remunerate? Those who diligently seek him. So those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That means when I come to him in prayer, I must believe that he is. Can I just tell you who he is? He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is uh, uh, the, the healer. He is the deliverer. He is a provider. He is a husband to the husbandless. He is a, a father to the fatherless. He is the protector. He is the defender. He is a counselor, not just a counselor, the wonderful counselor. He is the prince of peace. He is, can, I just can keep going. Do you want me to keep going? Can, those who come to him must believe that he is. That everything we have need of, he is. And if we're coming to him and we don't really believe that, we're wasting our time. And so when I approach him, I approach him knowing everything I have need of, Lord, you are. I'm not going to waste my time coming to somebody else. Lord, they're not what I have need of. You are. And I'm coming to you and I believe that you are everything you say you are right here in this word. I believe. I have total trust that you are. And not do I, I don't just have to believe that he is, I have to believe that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, I want you to, to hear the definition of that one. It, it conveys the idea that not merely does God exist, he exists as a rewarder. And not merely does he exist as a rewarder, but that he will prove himself to be a rewarder of the person who diligently seeks him. Do you believe that? Now look at that word diligently. It doesn't mean casually. It means I'm going to seek you. I'm going to be a persistent. I'm, you know the story of the persistent widow where, where she goes and she knocks. She wants something. And I haven't looked up this story. So somebody feed me. Dave, is it bread? 
She wants bread, I think. And, and, and she goes out at night and she, now don't quote me because I haven't, it's just coming through my head. Don't quote me on this. Just, just bear with me. Give me a little grace. And, but, but I think she wants bread and she goes out. Somebody look it up. It's Angela here. Angela, look up that verse for me. Uh, it, it means that she goes out and she knocks on the door and she's looking for bread. And, and no, I think I have the wrong story. But she goes back and she keeps, Angela, did you find it? That, well, yeah, okay, so she wants to go to the judge because she wants what? Is it the lost coin? No. Vindication. And so she goes to the judge, to the door, and I think she goes at night. Angela, does she go at night? I'll just make this story whatever I want to be then. <laughs> Rhea, don't get off your notes. <laughs> Angela, bail me out, girlfriend. Thank you. I knew she'd get it. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Let's just go there now that I've messed this whole thing up. We've got to clarify it. Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Lord. Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart saying, there was a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her coming, her continual coming, she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what that unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find what? Faith on earth. Now, I know there's a bread story too, so Angela, you can find that one as you're, as you're looking. But she wanted something. And she wanted something from the judge. And, and she goes out and she just decides she's going to bother him and bother him and bother him until he gives in and gives her what, he, what she wants. And, and that's a picture of persistence. That he who comes to me must believe that I am and that I am the rewarder of those who diligently seek me. Angela, did you find it? Luke eleven five, and it's about bread. And she goes out at night and knocks. I knew it. Thank you, Lord. My vindicator. Um, <laughs> Oh, I'm so just off my notes. I'm just so sorry. But, but here's just what I want to tell you, that when we come to him, we must believe that he is. There can't be any doubt in our mind that he is good. Where did we ever get in our mind that he is not good? It's part of his character. It's who he is. He can't be anything else. And that when we come to him, we must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so the Bible says that if you lack wisdom, you should ask. And he who gives generously will give it to you without finding fault. But he who asks should ask in faith, believing and not doubting. Not doubting. And that word ask there, it is, is, it, it talks about one who's in a lesser position than he whom the position is made. So it's a picture of us being in this lower position than God. And yet we're asking, we're begging, we're craving, we're calling, we're desiring. We're requiring of God, but you said this, Lord, and I am standing and I am going to knock and keep knocking because I believe your word is yea and amen. And I believe you said that you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And so I'm going to come back here and I'm going to keep knocking because the Bible says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. And do you know what that really means in the original language? Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Uh, knock and keep on knocking and it will be given to you. You see, what we do is we don't get it the first time we ask because we ask with the wrong motives. We don't ask according to the will of God. You see, you can ask anything in this word and you can believe it'll be given to you because it's truth, it's a promise, it's yea and amen to those who believe. No, it's not about twisting the word and getting what you want and making God be a genie in the bottle. It's about believing that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's about believing and not 
doubting because God does not honor unbelief. I'm just gonna tell you, it offends him. It offends him. I wanna show you that. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Mark chapter nine. And this is what I wanna talk to you about tonight. I'm gonna move from James and I want to just pull out this story and just go down through it with you slowly. It's a fascinating story, most of you know this. It picks up when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and he, had, uh, he has three of his disciples with him up on this Mountain of Transfiguration. The other nine disciples are down below in the valley. Mm -hmm. Don't forget that, they're in the valley. It's easy on the mountaintop, it's hard in the valley. And we pick up in verse 14. When he came to the disciples, this is Jesus now coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he saw a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So he answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both in the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come out of, into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. I want to just look at this story just briefly uh, before I let you go tonight. But I, I just want to remind you, if you want to flip over to 1 John 5, 4, I just want to show you one other scripture. 1 John, right before Revelation. Uh, 1 John, so you'll have Jude, 1st and 2nd John, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And don't miss that. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith is the key to walking in victory. And, and that's what I think we see in this story, the danger of unbelief. Because I will tell you, tonight my son Tyler called me right before I came to Bible study. And, and he, was on his, he called me on his cell phone and he was walking out of his apartment into the parking garage. And he said, Mama, I'm probably going to lose you in the parking garage. He said, there are nothing but concrete walls all around me. And, and, and I don't get good reception within those concrete walls. And he says, it'll drop the call, but don't worry, I'll call you back. Well, sure enough, he starts talking. I can hear him, the garage door opening, and, and pretty soon the, the call dropped. And, and he called me back, and he said, I'm sorry about that. I just don't get good reception in, in that parking garage. And, and as I was thinking about this message for tonight, I couldn't help but remember Tyler's story. Because I will tell you that unbelief, unbelief, 
will be the concrete walls that disconnect us from that connection with God. Do you understand that as believers, as disciples of God, just like these disciples within this story that we'll see, were, were called, they were given authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. Do you understand that? That we have been given authority. The Bible says that he, God limits himself here on earth because he's chosen to use us as vessels, as conduits to his power. And so you and I, the faith is the thing that connects us to the power of God. We have faith and we become con conduits to the world. That his power can come through us into the world because we stay connected to him through faith. Are you following me? So unbelief is like Tyler's concrete walls. It interferes with reception and the call gets dropped. The message gets dropped. Do you see that? And we're going to see that in the lives of these disciples in a moment. I, I, just, I just wanted to take a moment though before we begin and just pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's powerful and that it's so, so active. I thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I pray, Lord, that this word will become flesh tonight, that it would penetrate our hearts and our minds, and that we would become one with this word, Lord, and have greater understanding than we've ever had before. Father, prepare my heart and my mouth to present this word and help me to do it with clarity and with great effectiveness. I pray, slow my heart, Lord God and help me to clearly and effectively preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me draw the picture for you of what's taking place in this story. Jesus' disciples are there. He was on the Mount of Trans Transfiguration. And, and this father comes to, to the disciples. They're, he's actually looking for Jesus. And his son is possessed by a demon. And it's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture. And I think about this father and the desperation that must have been in him. I don't know about you, but if you ever, if those of you that are parents, to watch a child suffer is not fun. To feel powerless to do anything about it is not fun. And this, this, this father had to watch his child be, be uh, just tormented by this demon. This demon would throw him on the ground. It would make him convulse. It would cause him to foam at the mouth. And the father sat powerless, not knowing what to do with it. We know because Jesus asked him that this young boy had suffered with this from childhood, from infancy probably. Commentators think he would have been a young man instead of a, of a, of a young boy, that he would have been a young man. And so he had suffered with this a long time. I can't imagine what the father must have been thinking thinking. I wonder if every night the father went to bed, if he believed that the son would wake up better the next morning, that this thing would, would fix itself, that, his, that maybe, just maybe, he would grow out of it. If every day he lived thinking, maybe tomorrow will be different, and believing in that moment that just maybe it would be, and that unbelief would kill it. He'd wake up in the morning and see in the natural that nothing changed, and the unbelief would break the connection, would drop the call. And so here this father is and he's bringing his young boy, his young son to, to the disciples and he really wants to see Jesus but Jesus is on the Mount of Figure, Transfiguration and he is not available. And so he has to go to his disciples. Now you need to know that these disciples had been traveling with Jesus for a long time. They had watched him for, for two or three years working with him daily. They were with him all the time. They had witnessed how he did things. They saw his power firsthand. They had intimate instruction by his side. And he had given them authority to, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, and to cast out demons. They had done it with him by their side. He sent them out and, and they, they did it. They, they actually saw demons be cast out, that God used them powerfully. And, and so they knew that it was possible. But, but this time, Jesus wasn't with them. He was up on the Mount of Transfiguration and they were in the valley alone. He wasn't there this time. I want to talk again about Tyler. Poor Tyler's 
hit my sermon tonight, but I told you last week that he's a police officer in Minnesota, and, and he is doing right now what they call FTO, and it's field training observation or something like that. And, and, and so he, he has a partner with him. Eventually, Tyler will be in a squad car by himself, but for the next three or four months, he's doing FTO, and he has a training officer with him at all times, and he sits in the car with him, and he, he really lets Tyler observe him and Tyler is watching every move he makes. He's watching how he does a traffic stop. He's watching how he deals with domestic violence. He's watching how he does an arrest. He's watching how he deals with, with, with a crisis situation and Tyler's observing right now and he has a close, uh, close uh, uh, view of what is going on here and, and so any questions or any mistakes can be immediately addressed by this officer that's with him. And so eventually, Tyler will get turned loose where he doesn't have the superior beside him. Where he, everything that he's doing now, he has to rely on what he learned in training. But that authority that he had leaned on and he had relied on will not be there any longer. Right now, he's there. And Tyler is taking good notes and he's learning everything he can so that when he gets turned loose on his own, he knows exactly what to do. And that's what happened with the disciples. They had FTO training. They, they, they were with Jesus, with the authority, watching how he did things every single day, taking notes on how it was done, observing and watching his power go forth. And, and, and now they were turned loose. Jesus wasn't right by their side right now. He was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and they had to depend on what they had learned, what they had seen him do, how he had exercised authority, and now how they were going to use it. And so this father comes to them and, and he asks them to cast out this demon. And they could not do it. They couldn't do it. Now, we know they had done it before because we have scripture evidence of that. We know that they had once been able to do it. So what changed? As far as I can tell, the only thing that really changed is that Jesus was not in close proximity. And they were on their own. But we know also that Jesus, when they said to him, why could we not do this? He said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And I've heard people say that, that oh, there are just some demons that are really high principalities and you can't deal with them unless you fast and pray. I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about here. You see, I think his disciples were leaning on their laurels. I think they were just, we did this before, it worked, and let's just try it again. I don't think they stopped and sought the face of God. I don't think that they were, they, their connection with, with God, I think, was, was, was lacking. And, and so when Jesus said this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting, that there's, that's a picture of intimacy. It's a picture of connection. And I'm just going to tell you, there is no authority without intimacy. I don't care how, how good you can preach a sermon. I don't care how good you look and how big your church is. Without intimacy, there is no authority. There is no shortcut I'm just going to tell you that and we want to walk in authority we want to walk in power but we do not want to nurture intimacy and the only way we can do that is through self-denial and through prayer and I think that's what Jesus was talking about and so these disciples were leaning on just what they know and what, they, what worked before. And, and they were powerless. They lacked the power. And the Bible says that when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples were disputing with the scribes. Commentators will say that the scribes were really, were really mocking them and ridiculing them for being powerless. And when I read that, I thought to myself, church, how that looks like us sometimes. We are called to represent. We're called to be the conduit of power from heaven. As it is in heaven, it'll be here on earth. And we get to be the conduits. We get to be the ones who it flows through and out into the lost and dying world. And yet we don't want to nurture intimacy. We don't want to nurture connection. And we wonder why we are powerless. We wonder why we're not seeing the power of God go forth. Authority is granted, it's given, but in order to walk in it in power, we cannot lose the connection. We can't drop the call. We've got to maintain that connection with God. No matter how many times he's used us, no matter how many times we've seen his power, if we want to maintain that connection of power into this world, we've got to make sure the connection of intimacy 
is maintained. So Jesus comes down and the scribes and the Pharisees are disputing and really the, the, the Pharisees are, are, are making fun and mocking, uh, the, the, um, uh, the, the scribes are making fun and, and mocking the disciples. And, and I, just, I just wanna tell you what that must have done to the Lord when he saw that. You see, we are called to represent. We should look different than the unbeliever down the street. When we reach, we should understand we are reaching with the very hands of God that things should change, that there should be a difference. And so here, they're, they're, they're arguing, they're disputing, and Jesus asks them about it, and you see the, the, the disciples aren't about to answer. They're not gonna fess up and say, we messed up, Lord. And the scribes are certainly not gonna challenge Jesus because they've learned not to do that, and so they, they both sit quietly. And it's so interesting to me, oh, if you tune me out the rest of the night, hear this one, it is so, so interesting to me that here is a father and a son who's suffering, people who are desperate to see the power of God. And where is the church? Arguing and disputing. And here is a need that needs to be addressed. Someone who desperately needs to see the power of God. Church, instead of complaining, instead of ripping on other people, instead of saying, well, I don't like that church anymore, they don't do this way, and, and, and can we just focus on being conduits of the power of God into a lost and dying world? And so when he says what's going on, the, the scribes are quiet and the, the disciples are quiet and, and all of a sudden out of this massive crowd, and it's a massive crowd there, a voice comes and it's the father and he says, Jesus, you know, I brought my son to your disciples. He says to you actually, and, and, and your disciples could not help them. Look at that in verse 17. Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I bear with you? That word faithless there, just, it, it, it is... Um, it is just a powerful, powerful word. It, it means, you know, um, it, it, faithless, that we are not being faithful to him. We're not being faithful to his word, that we are going through the motions, that we are mechanical. One of, my, one of the scriptures that gets me every time I read it is that we have a form of godliness, but we deny the power therein. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives within us. We are his delegated authority in this world today, and yet the church is not displaying the power of God. Can I just tell you, the devil recognizes authority. I've got to come down, I'm sorry, Dave. Uh, uh, the devil recognizes authority. I want you to hear this, get this, it just gets me. As I was studying it this week, I was overcome by this statement. Because you see, God, everything is order with God. Who knows that? God is a God of order. And he, order is important to him. So, for example, in the marriage, the husband is over the wife. Some of you don't like that. Rock on with your bad self. Don't change the word of God. That's what it says, that the husband is over the wife. Do you see that? That's the order. God chose the order, not me. God chose it. I have to choose to know that he's a God of order and he's got a reason for it. And you see, God, order is important to God, but so is authority. And you see, the devil recognizes authority. That's why, well, when the name of Jesus is, is mentioned, what happens? The devil has to flee because he recognizes what? Authority. And you see, he doesn't, he recognizes authority in us. That's why the scribes could mock and ridicule the disciples because they understood there's no authority there. You're not carrying authority. You like to think you are, but there's nothing there. Just rock on with your bad self, keep doing it, but it's not working. How's that working for you? But the devil recognizes someone who walks in authority. That's why it's so important, men. Do you know that you are the gatekeeper? Men, listen to me. Don't miss this one. You are the spiritual gatekeeper of your house. You are the head of your house. Do you understand that? And when you give up that position, when you don't take that position of authority seriously, the enemy recognizes that you don't take authority seriously. And what happens? Your whole family becomes an open, open game for him. Open game. That's why it's so important that men rise up. 
because they are, because God says it, because God needs order, he says the men are the spiritual gatekeepers in the house. I'm gonna tell you, if the enemy wants to get to me, guess who he has to go through first? He has to go through Jesus first. But after he gets through Jesus to me, guess who he has to go through? This one right here. And he understands this. He understands this. Let me give you an example. Um, I, had, uh, I was having some trouble with my thoughts the other day. They were going a little wild. And I was, I was robbing me of peace. And I was sitting by the fireplace and Dave was watching a football game. And I said, Davey, I'm really struggling with my thoughts right now. And I feel like I'm getting hit by a wave and getting my feet knocked out from under me. And he turns off the TV and he comes over to me and he puts his hands on my head. And he begins to pray against the whispers of the enemy. He silences the enemy in the name of Jesus. And he takes authority over those thoughts in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, e immediately, am I exaggerating? Immediately, that thought stopped. Immediately. I wasn't plagued with that thought the rest of the day. I had a skin cancer come out on my lip right here. Uh, and, and it was a nasty one. Like it blew up overnight and it had an ulcer on it. And Dave would come up to me every morning and he would say, that has to be healed in Jesus' name. I'm commanding that thing to be healed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that that's healed. And I would be like, can you make it a little better than that? I mean, he just put it, say, that's healed in Jesus' name. And I'd be like, come on, let's work it up. This is cancer. We have to get this off of here. And he'd be like, it's healed in Jesus' name, Rhea. And he just was confident. And so Every single day, Leslie, am I exaggerating? Every single day, that thing got smaller. It got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller till I had an appointment with a dermatologist that I was waiting for. And I went in and I said, there's no reason I come today because I had one right here. It looked just like the one on my leg, but it's gone. And, and she said, oh no, it's not gone. I can see the remnant of it. And she said, that's exactly what it was, Rhea. But she said, your body is fighting it for some reason. And we don't even have to worry about it anymore. It's taking care of itself. If I'm lying, I'm dying. And I'm just telling you, that man understands authority. He understands that if the devil's going to get to me, he's got to go through him because he is the spiritual gatekeeper of our house. See, the devil recognizes authority. He recognizes authority. Now, if Dave was not, uh, if Dave was allowing behaviors and stuff in his life that he should not allow, he could claim authority all he wanted. And the enemy would do to him what the scribes were doing to the disciples and say, rock on your, with your bad self, big guy, but you don't carry authority because you're entertaining all this other garbage in your life. You see the difference? And that's what was happening to the disciples. And so Jesus comes and, and he wants to know what's going on. And, 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 and the father comes to him. And I'm really, really struck by something. Let's go back to our text. Jesus says, oh, faithless generation. How long, verse 19, oh, faithless generation, how long Shall I be with you? How long shall I bear, bear with you? Bring him to me. What really strikes me here is never do we ever see Jesus when somebody comes to him. When blind Bartimaeus came to him and said, you know, Jesus, son of, of David, have mercy on me. Jesus didn't say, oh, faithless generation, how long do I have to bear with you? Well, when people who were sick came to him, he didn't say, oh, faithless generation, how long do I have to deal with you? It was in this issue of faith. You don't trust me. You've been with me all this time. You've been walking with me for three years. You've seen my power at work. I've, I've, I've given you authority, and now you are questioning whether or not it works? Oh, faithless generation, how long do I need to deal with you? Verse 20, then they brought him. Oh, then look, he says, so bring him to me. Then they brought him, and when he saw him, the boy, immediately the spirit convulsed him. You see, the spirit recognized authority. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Now this is what strikes me. I would, I would see, it, it, this, now remember, Jesus says, bring him to me, and they're bringing him this boy who's demon-possessed. This demon throws him to the ground, makes him convulse, makes him foam at the mouth. It's really not a good sight. He's, he's having seizures as Jesus is standing there, and Jesus doesn't do anything. I just want to see Jesus say, out of him now, and it be done. But he doesn't. Do you know what he does? He asks the Father a question. 
He says, how long has he been like this? Now, now there are just things in the word of God that just make me chuckle. I taught this weekend about the, 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 the man who was sitting by the pool of Bethesda, putting his hope in water that would be stirred, that he would be able to get up and walk. And, and Jesus comes up to him and he says, do you want to be made well? And I want to just say, Jesus, he's been coming here every day, putting his hope in water. Of course he wants to be made well. He's, he's crippled, Jesus. He wants to be made well. Take my word for it. Why are you even asking a question like that? I love, blind Bartimaeus comes to him, and, and he stands in front of him, and he's saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says to blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And you want to just say, Jesus... He's blind. I'm pretty sure he wants to see. And so those kind of questions just tickle my heart when I read the word of God. And this is one of them. Here this boy is convulsing in front of him. He's, he's foaming at the mouth. And, and he's, commentators say he would have been banging his head on, on the ground. And, and it was not a pretty sight. And Jesus, instead of immediately healing him, he looks at the father and says, so how long has he been like this? And you want to say, Jesus, you're omniscient. You know how long he's been like this. What's up with that question? I have a really good Christian counselor who I love. He's like a brother to me. And he charges a lot of money, and I don't like having to pay it. But he does something to me that I just still have not understood. He, he doesn't say much. He lets me talk. And... But when he says something, it's usually in the form of a question. And I want to say to him, Dan, I'm paying you a lot of money. I'd like a little good advice here. I, I, I'm pulling on your professional, what you're training. I want to know. Just tell me. Give me the answer. I want it. But you know what he does instead? He asks a pointed question so that I have to look inside myself ask myself some hard questions, and come up with a solution. How long has he been like this, spiritual gatekeeper? Father in authority. And the man says, from childhood, from infancy. And at that point, he says, Jesus, if he can do anything, Please help us. If I can do anything, Jesus says. If I can. Uh, the, the leper, when he came to Jesus, he says, if, if you are willing, I know you can. I, I, there isn't any problem with me knowing you can. It's will you do it for me. This is completely different. This is, I know you will. You've shown up. But can you? Do you have enough power to take care of this? If I can, is there any doubt in your mind that I can? Do you know who you're talking to? And Jesus asks that question and he cries out and he says, I do believe, help my unbelief. And the Bible says that he cried out and he wept. With tears, he said, I do believe, help my unbelief. And I think when Jesus said to him, this is just my theory because I've been studying spiritual gatekeepers, and I just think for, I really honestly believe that what Jesus is saying is where did this thing get power? Where did it get entrance into this boy's life? What did you bring into your house? What did you allow into your life, spiritual gatekeeper, that gave the enemy access? Church, we've got to guard our hearts. Guard our minds. Don't give place to the devil, the scripture says. Don't give him an occasion to act. How long has he been like this? So he says, I do believe Jesus. Help my unbelief. And he is faced with the fact that he doesn't believe as much as he thought he did. Can I just tell you, there's nothing that will do that more than when you're dealing with issues with your children. I remember as my children were growing up and, and watching them make decisions that were not good, decisions that I knew were gonna lead them down the wrong path and feeling powerless to do anything about it. I, I realized that there were areas of unbelief when it, when it came to my children. We had one son who was a prodigal for a number of years 
years and, and I would lay awake at night and I would worry about him and I would pray for him and I'd be like, Jesus, please just keep him safe. Please watch over him. And I, I have to just tell you, Jesus, when it comes to my children, I know that I have areas of unbelief. Help my unbelief. And this father had to look at his own life and he had to say, Jesus, there's some areas of unbelief. I do believe you. There's so much I believe you about, but this is an area of unbelief. But could you help my unbelief? This man had to come face to face with the reality that his faith wasn't what he thought it was. He had to confront it and look deep within him. That word unbelief there means refusal to accept and appropriate God's truth. Jesus, in this area, I have unbelief. I, I, I'm not appropriating your truth to this situation, and I know it. Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. What amazes me is uh, he, he's talking not just to the disciples when he says, oh, faithless generation. He is talking to the whole group of people that were there, to the multitude that were there. And he's saying, oh, faithless generation, how much longer do I need to deal with you? Because I think he was saying, is there not anybody here who would stand and realize the power of God that, that can be at work in them and who will rise up and help this boy? Is there not anybody who really believes that I'm who I say I am? Let me ask you tonight, do you believe he's who he says he is? Do you believe he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him? And if you are, church, will you begin to rise up? Will you begin to be the conduit from heaven to earth, the conduit of power that brings power from heaven to earth? Will you be that conduit or will you allow the concrete wall of unbelief your failure to appropriate the truth of God's word in your life and into the lives of others. Will you allow that concrete wall of unbelief to stop that power from flowing forth? Jesus, I know you can. Jesus, I know you will. I do believe, just help my unbelief. Oh, faithless generation, how long will you doubt me, he says. How long will you doubt me? You see, faith settles our heart before the battle. Unbelief binds the hand of God. He can't do anything. Our faith activates him. That's why Jesus in his own hometown could not do any miracles because there was so much unbelief. Doubt is not the issue here. It's giving it power. It's giving it life in, 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 in our Christian walk. You can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but you can sure keep them from making a nest in your hair. And you can't stop doubt from coming through your mind, but you can certainly refuse it an area of acting in your life. Do you believe him? Do you believe that he's who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do? My husband, I love him with all of my heart. But if I did not truly trust him, there would be a wall between us. I would still be in relationship with him. I'd still be interacting with him. But, but there would be a wall that would interfere with intimacy if I did not trust him the way I need to. And when we want to be in relationship with God and we say we believe God, we say we're followers of God, all those people in the crowd that day were followers of God, but they didn't trust him. That unbelief will break the connection. McDonald says there's nothing about God that makes it impossible for men to believe. The difficulty is in the human will. It's our choice not to believe. Many of you have heard me teach on this scripture before that says, without, uh, uh, that it says, with God, nothing is impossible. And that word, nothing is impossible, that, that little uh, phrase, nothing is impossible, are three Greek words, and it means no thing, absolutely nothing. No, the word there is an absolute, unqualified, total negative, nothing. And the word no thing, it means no rhema, no rhema is without effect. 
without God, nothing, or with God, nothing is impossible. And so what it means, I think Montgomery's New Testament says, no word of God is without power of fulfillment. Oh, I just want to say that to you again. No word of God is without power of fulfillment. We've got to settle that in our mind. We've got to understand that the word of God is seed. It's seed. And it's incorruptible seed. It works. And when you plant it, it produces a harvest. And we have to understand that no word of God, no seed of God is without effect. It will produce, I promise you. It will produce. It is not without fulfillment. And we have to settle that in our mind and begin to speak it over our lives and our situations. The Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What we have inside of us, what we meditate on, we will become. I was struck this week. I just want to show you one more thing before we we quit tonight. Turn over to Isaiah 26. This is so fascinating to me that I have to just throw it in here. This is a scripture that I quote often. And it says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, if you miss my whole teaching tonight, don't miss this. That word mind right there is translated in other places as imagination. If you turn over to Genesis 6-5, do that quickly. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Genesis 6-5, it says, There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, Oh, this is the wrong verse. Then the Lord saw, verse five, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of men was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Does somebody have the the NIV? Does it say imaginations? Somebody have it? I know it does. It says imaginations. I'm reading out of the the New King James. Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. The Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination, that's the word, of man's heart is evil from his youth. So that word mind that's in, I will keep it perfect peace, him whose mind is stayed on me, is the same word as imagination. Now stay with me. That word, mind, imagination, can also mean conception. Stay with me here. Conception. What happens when conception takes place in the womb? Sperm meets an egg. Something is conceived. You give birth to it. Are you with me? And you and I have a spiritual womb as well. I believe it's in the imagination. The imagination is where things are conceived. That's what this word is saying. Your your mind... Your mind is where things are conceived. Your imagination is where things are conceived. That's why what we think on, we become. That's why this 1 Samuel 16 says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He looks at the mind, the will, the emotion, the, the imagination. He knows what's in there. And that's why we have to be careful what we're thinking on, what we are giving ground in our life. If I said to you right now, this is how your imagination works. If I said to you, red apple, Did you picture a red apple? You betcha. Yellow banana. Do you have a picture? Your mind drew the picture immediately, didn't it? And so what we are putting in in this mind, it it starts to conceive. It starts to to realize it. It starts to, to become the reality in what you see. And that's why what we think on is so important. What we're putting in front of our eyes is so important. That's why we have to put faith. We've got to put the word of God in front of us all the time. We've got to deposit that in us. So that's what we begin to conceive. We give consent. That starts conceiving inside of us. It's an incorruptible seed, spora, sperm. That's what the word of God is. And it will give birth in us. It will conceive in us and give birth to something great, I promise you. But if what you're putting in your mind is pornography, it will conceive as well. If what you're putting in your mind is jealousy and envy and, and, and looking at somebody and being jealous of them, that will conceive as well. If what you're putting in front of you is meditating on hate and, and despising somebody, that's going to conceive as well. 
I will keep at perfect peace him whose mind, whose imagination is stayed on me. That's why it's so important what we're putting in front of our eyes. If I just say apple and you picture an apple right away in your imagination, how important are pictures? Guys, we've got to guard our hearts. We've got to guard our hearts. And that's why unbelief is so dangerous. That's why meditating on God's word, chewing on it, uh, murmuring it over and over in our head, we start to conceive it, we start to believe it, we start to get the picture of it actually taking place because that's why he says, faith, somebody finished the sentence to me, is what? What is it, Kels? Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not what? See in our imagination. I haven't seen it fleshed out, but I already have it pictured here because it's as a seed I dropped in there through faith and it has given me a certainty that God said it, I believe it. I believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe that he is not a man that he should lie nor the son of man that he should repent. I believe his word is yea and amen to those who believe and I'm gonna start meditating on that and I'm gonna stop letting the whispers of the enemy paint a picture for me that looks like something different and I'm gonna stop being powerless because I I'm going to start giving birth to the power of God's word in my life. Is that good stuff or what? That is good stuff. Because that's what faith is. Faith says I'm not seeing it right now, but I've already pictured it right here in my head. And when I picture it long enough, that's going to give birth in my life. It's going to give birth in my life. So, what's your scripture? What are you standing on believing? What are you believing? Jesus, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Act on your faith. Act on your faith. I'm not moving, Jesus, because I believe that you are and that you're the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because we must believe that he is and that he will reward those who diligently seek him. And so I'm knocking, Lord. I am knocking, and I'm going to keep knocking because I believe your word. And I'm going to come back to you, and I'm going to keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking until that door gets open to me. And I am not moving. I'm not backing down. I'm not, I'm not going to. I refuse to entertain unbelief because I am not losing that connection with you. I need the power of God to flow through my life into the lives of my family, into the lives of, of, of the world around me. And I'm not dropping the call. I'm not allowing unbelief to be that concrete wall that drops the call. I believe you're who you say you are. So Lord, we're asking right now that any unbelief in our life that you would expose and reveal for what it is and that you would help our unbelief. We're not looking in other directions. We're seeking you, Lord God. You are the only one who can help our unbelief. Increase our faith, Lord, we pray. Father, we repent of not trusting you. We repent of questioning your goodness. We repent of questioning your word and whether it's true. Lord, we have believed lies over the truth of your word. We have received lies as truth and, and, and raised them and elevated them above the truth of your word. Forgive us for that, Lord. Forgive us for that. And Lord, I pray for every situation that's, that is uh, represented in this room tonight. Situations that appear hopeless, just like this father bringing a, a hopeless situation to Jesus, knowing he was the answer. Lord, we pray for every one of those situations that are present in this room tonight. Lord, we are bringing them to you through faith, believing, Lord God, not, not dropping the call through unbelief. We are believing that you are and that you are the rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And Lord, we are standing in faith, Father, just like Jesus spoke to the fig tree and that fig tree had to listen because the, the word of God works. It works. It does not fail to produce. And so when we speak to something, when we speak the word of God to something, it will not fail. It will not be non-productive. It will not be idle. Lord, you tell us that we will have to give account for every idle word we speak.
for every non-productive word we speak. Thank you that your word is already settled in heaven. It already has the yes to it. All we have to do is give the amen, the so be it in our life. So Father, help us to store up your word richly. Help us to believe, Lord God, even when we're tempted to to look at our outward situation and believe that over your word. Let us be convinced, Lord God. Let us be, I am fully persuaded. I am fully persuaded that you are able, Lord God, that you are able and that you do not lie, that your word is true. And I declare that word over each and every person in this room. You will be faithful, Father. You are good, Father. You are our provider, Father. You are our healer, Father. You're our defender. You're our strong and mighty tower. You're our very present help in times of trouble. You're our bondage breaker. You're our mind healer. You're our broken heart mender. And you will keep it perfect peace. Him whose mind has stayed on you. Father, I pray for a deposit of your word in minds this week. A deposit of your word that's incorruptible seed that will sprout out and begin to blossom and bloom in their lives. And I pray, Father God, that that it would produce, it would produce in their life. It will produce, Lord God. I thank you and I praise you, Lord, that you're who you say you are. And we give you glory and honor and praise tonight in Jesus' name. One last thing before I let you go. Whose mind, whose imagination has stayed on you. That word also comes from the root meaning to form, fashion, or frame as a potter. And so we have to decide who we're going to allow to form our mind, our imagination. Will it be the word of God or will it be the lies of this world? Because that mind is going to conceive whether it's good stuff we're putting in there or bad stuff. We have to decide what we're going to plant because it's fertile ground and the seed we put in there will reproduce. So guard your hearts. Have a wonderful week. We'll let Kelsey close out. If you need prayer before you leave, the team will be up here. Please take them up on it. They are are prayer warriors, and your life will be blessed. Just spend some time with them. Let them pray for you, and we'll see you next week. Have a wonderful week.